Welcome back to Resball, where I am excited to announce that Jam Hines of Draft Digest over at Sports Illustrated will be joining me every week for a draft podcast starting this week. And this week's topic of discussion starts with the number one overall pick in the 2024 NBA draft. We'll look at the contenders for the number one overall pick in the 2024 NBA draft. Let's get started. everybody excited excited to have this new weekly pod with jam hines who does work for draft digest is scout extraordinaire there's nobody better than jam hines Jam, before we get started let everybody know where they can find you find your work and what you got going on recently appreciate that steve i'm very excited to do this with you weekly um you can find my work at draft digest and then also on my twitter page at jam on the boards um, most recently, you'll find that I've published some game notes and scouting notes for my trip to CGW and uh, William and Mary. A uh, very good game with some legitimate um, G League prospects and two way guys. So check that out. Yeah, Jam is in the field, like traveling, seeing games live. That's one of the things you cannot underrate. And that's why I wanted him here. I wish I could get up into more games and other things, but I'm definitely stuck more in the classroom. But what we came here for tonight is, of course, to talk about the number one overall pick in the 2024 NBA draft. And who in the world is in the running for the number one overall pick? Uh, you've heard me say this if you've listened to this pod a lot since the summer. I can't stand people saying, oh, this is a bad draft. This draft sucks. It's like, come on, man. Have we not learned our lesson? Go back and look. The last draft I can think of off the top of my head that really was just flat out garbage. Sorry, Mike Miller is the 2000 draft where like, like in Mike Miller, I think was the rookie of the year that year. And there was like three dudes. So legitimately three guys that came out of that draft, everything else like 2013, we heard this same thing that draft produced Giannis Anacogupo. And then we had the, the, you know, Chet hollow and Jabari Smith one of like, ah, there's nobody good underneath that. We'll go look at who else is underneath there. Every year this happens where people are like, eh, I don't know about this draft somebody emerges or somebody comes out fluid is the word I keep using here. Fluid. This is a fluid draft because there's nobody set in stone. Nobody really on the grassroots circuit and along the way has separated themselves the way Cade Cunningham did the way Victor Wemanyama did. So it's a fluid year. That's why we want to start this with saying, okay, let's talk about who's going to go number one this year. I'm going to break it up into three sections. First, we're going to talk about who I call the incumbents, basically the, the the guys that have been mocked for about six months, nine months now of like, oh, these guys are probably the number one overall pick and who draft experts have said, yeah, this guy would like number one. And then we're going to talk about the risers, guys that in the last probably like three-ish months have really started to rise up draft boards. And here and there, people are saying, you know what? I think I would take them number one or at least keep them in consideration for the number one overall pick. And then the last one, we're going to end with Dark Horse Canada's straight from us. So if you want to direct the hate and say, like, you're an idiot, direct it directly at me. 
let Jam know. I mean, we're just going to go out on a limb because, again, it's a fluid draft. You never know right now as we get into even with the guy who we're going to start with, who is the incumbent, maybe the top incumbent is Ron Holland, who is, of course, playing for the G League Ignite this season. <laughs> so Jam and I have gone back and forth about Ron Holland's listed height and weight. I don't know what happened. You can go check Rafael Barlow NBA Big Board. You can go like use the Wayback Machine. But maybe like a week or two ago, and even today on the G League website, Ron Holland was listed at six foot six. But now if you look on G League Ignite's website, he's listed at six foot eight. If you go over to Real GM, Ron Holland is listed at six foot six. So I don't know what his size is. We'll see what that ends up being. I mean, again, that's the rant I've said before. I don't know why people do this of saying, you know, what their height is bigger than what it is. You're not doing anybody any favors. So somewhere six, 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 eight, two oh four, two oh five, Ron Holland. Number one is an athlete, a really good athlete. And number two, the motor and consistency from him. He brings it every single night. This is probably the, the double combination of why Ron Holland has been in the number one pick consideration. I don't think I've ever seen this guy take a playoff on either end of the ball. He's also a really good attacker. He always puts pressure on the rim. It seems like he can generate foul shots very easily with that. His handle last year, to me, when I looked at the high school stuff at Duncanville, I was always like, eh, I don't know if he's end up going to end up being like a primary ball handler. And then the shot was kind of like, eh, I don't know if the shot's ever going to come around. But the work this kid has put in over a summer, too, it's not just like, you know, over years or whatever. From last year's Duncanville film to the preseason to what he's doing right now, he's trying out step back jumpers. He's been able to pull up in the mid range. His three point shot looks solid and not, you know, this thing that's taken a long time. He gets them off. He's not shy taking three pointers now, which is normally something you see in a guy like this that didn't really want to take him before or didn't wasn't asked to it. Like, no, whatever kind of shot is out there, he's attempted it and he's trying it. And again, he's a ferocious guy that gets after on both ends of the court. And the one thing to me that I always kind of knocked him for, because to me, Ron Holland was built as this like power forward, small forward, maybe like a small ball forward. And when I watched this film and looked at his numbers, like he really wasn't a good shot blocker. He didn't even get one block per game. But the more I watched of him, the more I'm like, you know what? This is a guy is a really good point of attack defender. They're not asking him to be a weak side rim protector. They're actually asking him to guard like point guards and shooting guards and primary ball handlers. And he lights those guys up. This is why I say Ron Holland's the number one. And I'm just going to say right now, he's going to be my number one. I feel like this is going to be the Paulo year for me where like I, I knocked Paulo off for a little while. And, and had Jabari, but then later on in the process, I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this because Jabari can't really dribble. He doesn't have all these other primary creator traits like Paulo's has screamed his whole career. Same, same with with uh, Ron Holland is just he just screams primary or secondary creator. And again, the defensive stuff, primary defender, perimeter defender, point of attack defender, even at 6'6", 205, there's not many guys that are going to be able to do that. But what are your thoughts on Ron Holland, Jim? Steve, I don't know why you need me here. Honestly, man, you you really hit the nail on the head with Ron Holland, um, echoing a lot of the same thoughts and sentiments uh, that you just laid out. And the word ferocious, that, that, that just describes the game, ferocious and relentless on just both ends. It is constant attack. Um, terrific defensive playmaker. I did have some hope he could play some of the four 
Uh, then we will eventually find out what his actual list of height is. If he was at that six, eight mark, and then I believe he has close to a uh, seven foot wingspan with seven feet to seven one. Um, we'll get those measurements, of course, uh, during the combine. Um, but if he was at six, eight, I would like him more to be able to play some of the four, but more likely to play some of the three and matchup dependent four as well, too. Um, but continuing with his offense, you know, he's best getting downhill, slashing, and not only is he trying new things um, with the jump shot and showing more an advanced creation, he's hitting shots too. Obviously, he's going to miss some too, but it's not like he's taking step backs and he misses. Like, he has some makes with these um, going coast to coast with plays. So he's been very, very impressive with this progression. And that's the type of stuff that you want to see. So if he's making this jump from high school, you've seen it essentially on the pro level here with the G League Ignite. Can he continue to make those type of progressive leaps, especially offensively, defensively? I'm not worried about him at all being able to defend multiple positions. I do want to see him continue to be able to continue to defend point guards and kind of see and think about what type of point guards he can defend at the next level. I mean, obviously, if it's a guard-oriented game, well, we'd say wings, but, um, you know, to have the versatility to be able to defend guards, a lot of the elite point guards, I think that would be a huge notch on his belt to be able to do that. While the jump shot is still one of the concerns, um, but I, he's showing more confidence with it. I think he'll be able to be a capable jump shooter. And the thing also, when you look at the number one pick, I'm also thinking about, can he be that number one option? Is he number one option? Is he number two option? Is he more of a number three? Um, and the name that comes to mind, not necessarily his game, but just kind of putting into that perspective of the number one option, two or three, is R.J. Barrett. So when R.J. Barrett came out, I thought he was more of a a third, be the third best player on your team, but he has the ability to rise up to be the two and sometimes the one more so rise up to be the two, but he's probably best as your third piece. And that could, could potentially be what Rod, Ron Holland is that remains to be seen very early in the cycle. Um, but when you come and talk about some of the best two-way players in the draft, he has to be right there at the top. What do you think of his passing? He shows some flashes, but I mean, that will be an area you hope to be a growth, especially if you want him to be a, um, you know, someone that plays with the ball in his hands, a lead wing, if you will, for him to be able to play pick and rolls. So if he can at least, if he can have some of that or at least be a secondary creator, that would be huge for what his floor is already is as a two way player. Uh, what did you see from his passing things you like that, um, that leads you think can be a, primary creator or secondary type of guy, um, second side uh, playmaker? Yeah, it was the second thing that I liked the most about him. First was the defense. And then the more I watched of him, the more I was like, man, this guy's a really good passer. And particularly on this G League team, every game I've watched, he's hit guys open. And there's probably like three assists that he's not getting because guys aren't draining shots or they fumble the ball or whatever. That would be one thing I would say pay attention to uh, going forward is like his reads and when he gets guys that just miss shots because I feel like his assist numbers are going to suffer. But um, he's still a good passer and that has to be something because that's one of the harder parts, I think, of film evaluation is recognizing when the guy's making the right read. It's just not his teammate isn't knocking him down all the time. And Manas is hurt right now, so that's got to hurt a lot of one guy that's a really good three-point shooter. 
And I'm not sure how many other good. They got John Jenkins, right? Uh, David Stockton probably could knock down threes, but it's three three point shooters. Um, so you you have those guys there. And as so there's just one thing I would say, pay attention with Ron Holland is just the, the the passing. I think is super underrated. But I, you're probably right of like secondary creator. I don't see like this is a guy you just turn the offense over to and rock with from day one. But on the, at the same time, if there's anybody in this draft that I feel like I would do that with, it's Ron Holland. I don't think I feel that way with anybody else in this draft. I don't know if you have those same sentiments or if you're like, mm, I don't think anybody in this draft is like that guy. No, I, th- I think that's fair. And I think a lot of it will be situation based as well, as I'm sure we'll get to later, just about the number one pick in general. Um, but I, well, I will say this about Ron Holland. I think he's one of those type of players. Um, just saw the little intel I have right now, and I don't know him at all. But just what you hear about his work ethic, his drive, whatever ceiling that he has that, that you know, reasonably attainable, he's going to give you everything he has to get there. And I think at the end of the day, that's all you really can ask for um, is someone that's going to continuously do whatever it takes to get better. And, you know, I think he has a fairly high floor. And um, if, if things come together, he could have a very high ceiling as well. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why so many NBA talent evaluators are like, yep, this guy's number one because we feel confident. He's what I like to call the buck naked brick wall guy. Like if you told him, hey, light yourself on fire, <laughs> buck naked, run through that brick wall and it will make you a better basketball player. He would do it. You know, okay. and guys in the past that I've given that moniker to are Giannis, Ishmael Kamagate and the Thompson twins, as I feel very confidently like you watch them and you see them and you interview them. and It's like, oh, yeah, clearly all they care about is becoming a better basketball player and contributing to the team and contributing to the wins. They don't care so much about personal stats all the time, but just making the right thing to help their team win and become a better basketball player. So the other guy that's been kind of the incumbent number one, who I first heard when I heard this class that a lot of people had as the number one overall prospect is Matos Buzelis. <laughs> Again, I don't know what his actual uh, height or weight is. G League Ignite now lists him at six foot 10, 209. Real GM lists him at six foot eight, 209. And again, I could swear that that G League Ignite roster had him at six foot eight beforehand, too. So we will see what Manas ends up measuring at. I mean, Manas starts with shooting. He is a really, really, really good shooter. This last season as a senior, I believe he shot something like 45% from three point range uh, at Sunrise Christian. Like, I mean, uh, and at six foot 10, six foot 10 is what he's been billed at. I mean, that's a big difference maker there is a pretty good shot blocker too, 1.6 blocks per game and then is a solid rebounder. But I mean, that's kind of where the superlatives end for me anyway. Um, I don't know if you want to fill in the gaps because I don't want to just like dive into the negatives yet. And I mean, the shooting is absolutely looks elite and something you buy 1000 percent into as a difference maker, as a guy that you can just say, hey, man, fire away. And you feel confident that, yeah, he's going to put up like 15 a night just off of his three pointers. Yeah, I would absolutely love if he's closer to that 610 mark, of course, too. I even have seen him listed. I know on the uh, Cerebro Sports site, they have him at 611. Um, so hopefully he is in that 610, 611 range um, as opposed to 68 or even maybe um, 67. 
But even just by the eye test of the court, he, he should be somewhere in that six, eight range at least. Um, but yeah, like you said, it starts off with that shooting. Like it's just a easy, easy stroke that is going to be one of the most translatable skill sets that he has. Um, and also his ability, he has a pretty good feel for the game and his playmaking as well. I think he will be a very solid, at least secondary playmaker. There's upside for him to be able to operate and pick a role. And when he comes back for the night, I'm hoping that he gets a chance to be able to operate in those situations, considering um, they could use some help at, at the point guard spot. You know, no shades of the point guards they have there. Um, but I, I think their point guard play hasn't, at least initially, has not been as strong as it has been in the past. Um, but yeah, the sell is, is the size, the shooting, the feel. Ball handling does need to tighten up a little bit, but he does have those fast dribble shoot skill set that you're looking for. Um, and then also, just has to find a way to be more impactful defensively. I know the bot numbers uh, that you did list, um, but he's just not there consistently where it's kind of getting lost off the ball, kind of too high in stance a lot. Um, so I really want to see him, when he gets back, find a way to impact the game with his size, maybe the defensive end of the game, uh, with his size, his length, and his feel as well. Yeah, he's somebody, too, that, like, that's worrisome, the 6'10", a 6'8", because I feel like that's really going to affect teams that are going to want to take him two versus teams that will take him, like, what, eighth? If he's six foot eight. I mean, he's probably out of the top five, maybe? Question mark? What do you think? It'll, it all depends on the rest of the skill set. Like, if they're really buying him as a pure shooter, and then if you're going to couple that with uh, his passing ability, then, and like we said, how fluid this draft is really going to shape up to be, you could make a case for that in the top ten. Let's go with top five. Yeah, so I got the numbers a little bit wrong. So Manas in his last season at Sunrise Christian, 42.4% from three-point range and then 80% from the free throw line. Like I said, you buy into the shot. The shot is absolutely beautiful. It looks like it should. And a guy that tall, I think even if he's six foot eight two, the way it's a release or he has a super high release like that is hard to block. But like you said, at six foot ten, it's a big difference. Somebody threw out the name Danilo Gallinari. When talking about Maras, and I can't unsee it anymore, but it's also kind of <laughs> hurt me in, in terms of evaluating because I'm like, I don't know that I want Danilo in the top three. I'm, I'm again, I'm not sure I don't want Danilo in the top three because he's a very productive player when he was healthy. He fit in in a couple different spots. Three point shooting really made a difference on the teams that he was on. And he was just a pure scorer all the time. And he wasn't really known for defense. He was more of a positional guy. I think really where it boils down to for Maras, though, is physicality. Because on both ends, that seems to be the thing that is really getting in his way. I've heard people talk about, like, I don't know if he's going to be a good ball handler. And I'm like, nah, that kind of doesn't matter as much to me as, like, yo, man, when somebody backs you down, are you going to be able to fight back? When you do have the ball in, are you just going to be stifled and nobody can, you know, anybody that has a strong base can stop you from getting to the hoop because that's something we've seen consistently. And I think, I don't remember if Maras played in the like international cup that the G league ignited, 
I know you played in the exhibition games and there were quite a few times where Alexander Saar in particular, who's again, not the strongest dude either, like just got it in his way, got physical with him and Maras was eliminated. So I think he's really jump shot dependent right now. And the physicality has got to come around and the size again, probably affects it a little bit as why I, I, I've been more mystified as to why people have had Maras number one overall for a while. Because he's not really a passer, like the shot blocking's okay. The physicality is a big question mark. And it seems like everything's really dependent on him being like this elite three point shooter. Yeah. And like, I think it's just, like I said, the size and the ball skills when you have that in the modern game, that's easy to see. Um, you, when you see that's like, all right, that's very attractive. I see this playing on the NBA floor. And then just some food for thought for the shooting number because we agree that's going to have to be something he hangs his hat on. So Cerebral Sports, they have him uh, through 57 games track. They have him taking 192 threes, and he's connecting a 33% clip. I think he's a better shooter than, you know, 33% because at that point, the NBA level, that's more like a capable shooter. But for him, he needs to be a really good shooter somewhere, at least in that upper 30s. Um, so it'll be very important to see what he does when he comes back with the G League at night and also when he gets into workouts and how those uh, how the shots looking as well. So he may have um, the most to prove and maybe uh, the most to gain out of these uh, guys that we're talking about here who are in the mix for the first spot. I do think there's another guy that has, quote unquote, the most to gain and the most to lose. And that's the other guy that's been considered as the number one overall pick. And this one's less of a thing. It's probably like if we're, we're if we pulled 100 different scouts and draft experts out there, it's probably like 80 percent Ron Holland. It's probably like what 10 percent, 15 percent modest. And then the remaining 10 to 5 percent is Justin Edwards. Out of Kentucky, went uh, in the season, billed as this super tall shooter, six foot eight, 203 pounds, billed that he could play the shooting guard and the small forward. You know, I wasn't super familiar with him, and I watched uh, a lot of film on him, saw all the Global Jam stuff, and everything looks good. He looks like fluid enough out there. He looks like he's taking the right shots. He looks like he could develop into a three level scorer. The jump shot looks good. But I mean, the percentages are not fantastic. I don't think he's ever shot 35% over three. He's had struggles from the free throw line. And I mean, he's probably gotten off to the worst start out of the bunch, maybe of any draft prospect this this season, that one point game against Kansas, I believe. Like it's got people worried, man. So yeah, he's still, I'm I'm sure there's still people that have faith in him. And obviously, nobody should bail on a prospect after three games, but he's definitely got an uphill battle now. And the whole thing of him being like this six foot eight knockdown three point shooter, I think that narrative is kind of falling away pretty fast. Yeah, and I think that narrative was very unfair to him. I'm not sure how that really got started. Uh, (laughs) To be honest with you, he was never a pure shooter. Like, it looks good, and it's very productive that he will be a reliable shooter um, at the next level. But I think for him, the floor that you're really looking at for him is as a 3 and D guy, 
Um, he's come along with the shot creation and shot making and has made some really significant and, and tangible strides um, in those areas as well, which I think the steps, um, the progressive steps that he's taking with his shot making and shooting, maybe that's what had started to build that narrative about his shooting and the size. But I think it's the defense and the defensive playmaking. There's really good instincts and the size. That's who's going to have to hang his hat on to start. Um, and that's going to be, I think, what's going to be his biggest appeal. And then um, what he can become on offense. But it's really going to start with what he can do on defense by playing passing lanes, quick hands, uh, the instincts. So that's what I really like about him. And I think that's kind of the foundation of this game. And he has played three games so far this season, 9.7 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 0.7 steals, 0.3 blocks. Shooting splits are 56.3% from two-point range, 18.2% from three-point range. Oh, it hurts so bad. And then 83.3% from the free throw line. The free throw shot looks like it's much improved, though, from what I remember. Uh, in his high school stuff, it looks solid. It looks like he really did work on kind of the foundation, the fundamentals of his, at least like upper mechanics and stuff. So maybe that does come around. Also, the Kentucky, I call it the Cal clamps, where Calipari has you clamped into a role. And then when you come in the NBA and you become unclamped, then you're able to do more. Do you think that's going to affect him and maybe like the shooting slumps we see right now are part of that? In his case, I don't because he was never really a natural shooter. Maybe he'll just get more comfortable as the season goes on with just in general. You have to make that adjustment to the college game coming from high school. So for him, I don't necessarily see those cow clamps, uh, like you said, if you will, with him, um, like as it was with Booker in the past and, you know, Maxi, um, you know, to an extent. Um, I don't think that necessarily applies here, but it could. I mean, we may get into January in conference play, and you could be absolutely right. So it could be too early to say that. But I think right now, like, he's able to play his game and, you know, and has the freedom, and it just hasn't – the shot hasn't fallen so far. Yeah, for sure. He's somebody to track. And if you're high on Justin Edwards coming into the season, again, you always could fall back on the Kentucky guys end up being better. Just being in that development system is just track record. That's going to bump him up there. And then his size, too. He does look legitimately 6'8", 203. And like you said, the defensive versatility, that means something. Where really, even if at the minimum, like all he can do is knock down three-point shots, then, yeah, you got him going through the two. Probably even in the four, if he can get stronger with the way the NBA is played now. And he's rebounding pretty good now, too. I think his physicality is a little bit underrated. Um, and again, it's something that could be looking to of him being more versatile to crash the glass and to do these other things. His athleticism, he's the one that I'm really like, I don't know. You know, I need like 25 games from you before I can really like say anything definitively. Um, because the athleticism to me is is the most confusing part of him. He's not a bad athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but he also doesn't pop out. I was wondering what your take is on Justin Edwards as an athlete. Yeah, I think you really explained it perfectly there. I think he's a, a solid athlete. He's not this incredibly explosive, quick twitch type of athlete, but he's certainly an NBA caliber athlete, and especially when you combine him with being 6'7", 6'8", and a length. 
like all that is certainly function, uh, certainly functional. And then, you know, I, I just don't see there being a huge issue with his athleticism, but to determine what type of athlete he really is, I think you really would need to see some more games, like you were saying. Yeah, so we'll be keeping an eye on Justin Edwards, the last of the incumbents here for the number one pick in the 2024 NBA draft. Now we're going to move on to the risers, people that coming into the season were a lot lower than maybe even top 10, starting with Alexander Saar. Alexander Saar, I just did an episode on Alexander Saar, the theoretical game of Alexander Saar. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't. If you have listened to that, you know I'm already going to throw hot water or cold water. I'm going to put it all over this. You should go number one. But again, I end that episode by saying I get it. This guy is a really good athlete. Seven foot one, 200, 210, somewhere in there. Still is, is pretty skinny right now. Um, you just don't see this level of movement from a guy like that. Is a good shot blocker. Seems to have really good shot blocking instincts to go out there and block shots right now in the NBL. He has played quite a bit of games. He's probably the guy that's played the most games right now. Uh, he played the two exhibition games with uh, the Perth Wildcats against the G League Ignite. Played three games in the NBL Blitz and now has 11 games into the NBL season. So if you combine his NBL games, he's played 14 games, has scored 9.7 points per game, shot 46.3% from the field, 29.4% from three-point range, 60.5% from the free throw line, 5.1 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 0.5 steals, and then 1.3 blocks per game. But he's coming off the bench. He's only playing like 19.8 minutes. He's kind of like the sixth, six-ish man because Jordan Usher is also the other guy that comes off the bench. Do I say that Thor is the first guy that comes off the bench because really Jordan Usher is like a starter the way that they, they play him there. Uh, in the NBL and Alex Starr normally comes in at the end of the quarters where it's like, it's like five to seven minutes left in the first. And then they put him in and sometimes they let him go over into the third. Yeah. Really the only time they really let him go over is like at the end of the third into the beginning of the fourth. He started the year playing at the end of the fourth quarters and actually like hung in there and looked really good for a young guy of like knowing where to be and what to do. And it has been billed as a shooter. That's one of the things a lot of people want to bill him as. It's like, oh, he can block shots and he can shoot threes. It hasn't come around yet. But, man, you don't see many seven-foot-one guys run like this. And, again, I say ground coverage. Ground coverage, there are a couple plays in the NBL where he'll go and guard a big, get switched onto the point guard, run down there, frustrate him from getting to the rim. That guard kicks it to some guy in the corner. Alex Sarr chases that guy. That guy kicks it back to the top of the key. Alex Sarg is able to get there and still get a contest with that length, with that size and that movement. Man, he's really, really, really rare athlete to do that. But I want to get your thoughts on it before I reiterate what I said in that episode. Yeah, like you were saying, it certainly starts with defense, like the defensive versatility that he has as a shot blocker and a rim protector. He's switchable, the ground coverage, of course, and his ability to recover when he is deep, you know, with his size and his length as well. I mean, it's it's just truly incredible. And you see why, what he does defensively and what the NBA is looking for, why he is in consideration for the first pick and why he has been a riser. And then um, you can probably get used to me saying this a lot, but there's kind of different stages of shooting. But he is a capable shooter right now. That's not necessarily a true shooting, a true shooting threat. 
But I mean, when you're seven one, you provide that floor spacing by at least being a capable shooter. That certainly um, changes the geometry on the court for the team and gives those driving lanes, those passing lanes, um, and just keeps those clear. Um, he has ball skills as well. I mean, he's shown some decent feel, um, but still, he still needs to continue to develop. But you like to see those from your seven foot center. Um, and then just looking at some of the, the box scores. So he's only played, I'll still see what I had down, three games where he's played 20 or more minutes per game. And in those games, he's averaging 14.6 points, seven rebounds, two blocks, and 0.6 steals per game. And he's knocking down five of 12 uh, from three. So I'm just very curious to see if he will continue continues to get more playing time. I know that, like you're saying, he's coming off the bench in that six-man role, kind of sharing that role with Jordan with Jordan Usher. And Jordan Usher, feel like he's going to have to be in the NBA squad at least summer league, um, the summer next year. Like, he's been very, very impressive uh, for the most part. And I thought he should have been someone um, that was on the NBA roster anyway. Um, but he most certainly will be on the radar and, and all but uh, all but certain for him to be on the roster next year. I'm going to choose to go that route. Um, but I want to see once we get uh, deeper into the season, will Star's minutes creep up? Can we get him to 24, 25 minutes a game? Um, so I would love to see what that production is with just a little bit more playing time. Yeah, one thing I forgot to highlight, he's an amazing passer for his size. He makes when he gets more minutes and when he's asked to handle the ball, he'll make these reads that are like right on point. They're the right read to make his passes like they're not all over the place. He hits the guy right on the money. And it's just like, man, why aren't they doing this more often? Uh, kind of thing that is is frustrating to see. Man, I just don't believe in the three point shot, to be quite honest. He's only taken like over five attempts from three twice, I think. Uh, looking at his game logs, and one of them was in the NBL Blitz, so it wasn't really under live fire. That's a little bit worrisome. The past seven games, he's hit two three-pointers, so he's in a bad shooting slump right now. Um, and yeah, I, I do I do worry like the percentage is going to be affected by like the last game he had where it's like one of two, so it's like, oh, I shot 50% from three, and it's like, yeah, but he only took two of them, you know? Um, and the, with the shooting, I just say watch the way teams are guarding him. At the beginning of the year, wide open. They left him wide open. They're like, go ahead, kid, fire him away. Now they're soft closing out on him because, again, they don't respect him as a three-point shooter. Maybe once or twice somebody is hard closed out on him. I know in the last game, uh, Tajir McCall like, did actually pull a hard close out on him. And he bricked it. You know, um, So I think the way that teams are defending and how he can respond to that is something that needs to be looked on. But, again, I get it. Would you really consider him at number one overall? Because I feel like he might be the best project player, quote unquote, in terms of like, you know, it's going to take a long time. But you also see like this guy has tools and things in his profile that I don't see very many prospects ever in the draft come out. Absolutely. I would certainly consider him number one overall. And it's going to really be with the draft. It'll probably be team dependent where people go uh, there probably won't be too much separation um, from one to two especially in tiers as well but you know we have a whole cycle to to get through it still early but you know with his defense alone we see what that's bringing value from bigs and 
It's a reason why in a redraft, Walker Kessler will be much higher than where he went. It's a reason why uh, Donovan Klingon is uh, uh, being projected to be top 10. He may even be top five if people aren't really feeling some of the guards and wings. And, you know, they they feel like he's a dominant shot blocker. Um, they can be a play finisher. And that's something that teams are comfortable, especially addressing the need in the top five. Um, so, yeah, I think he's absolutely worth with his tools and uh, skill set um, to be considered in, in that first spot. Um, I think you made an excellent point about his shooting and the way that teams are guarding him. That will certainly tell you a lot, whether they're closing out on him hard, if it's a soft closeout, um, if it's a Westbrook, if you will, closeout. Um, and, you know, if they, if they leave him over, wherever the situation is, um, I, I think if he continues to can continue to be a threat, he can at least be able to play off of that. And I think it's going to be big for him because he can attack close out with his um with his uh ball handling and his ability to make decisions uh, with the pass and just very fluid in doing that. So if he can maintain at least being a capable shooter, it provides the spacing for the team, of course, and then it also opens up his ability to attack those closeouts. See, to me, I could live with everything except the motor. I think his motor runs like way too hot and cold. I'm worried with that. And like you go back and watch the OTE stuff. Same thing, like one game he'll come out, you know, like a house on fire. And the next game he's like not even existing out there. I mean, you just look at his game logs again. You'll see it like one game stuff in the stat sheet. The next he's got zeros or like single digits. And you watch the film too. It's worrisome. When he just kind of goes in the tank and you can kind of tell he's run out of energy. I also think the coaching staff, I hate to call out coaching staffs because I'm just some guy, right? I'm not a professional coach or anything, but they're not really doing him any favors because sometimes they'll just yank him. Like the New Zealand game was really weird because that coach left the starters in all the fourth quarter and they were winning by like 20. I don't understand what the point of that was. Um, and then again, the passing stuff, like I'm like, oh man, I wish I could see more minutes. But again, we get it. International guys, if you're a young guy, unless you're Luka Doncic, you're just not going to get a feature role in major minutes. And what Sar has been able to get actually is a really good role. It shows like that he does have high level ability. And the Perth Wildcats are starting to turn their season around. I don't think Sar has much to do with it. I think it's more of uh, uh, Bryce Cotton, Tucson legend Bryce Cotton, and former Arizona Wildcat Keanu Pinder and Jordan Usher. <laughs> Out there, they got a, the Tucson with Wildcats apparently travel <laughs> down under even. But Sar does have something to do with it for sure. And you can still tell there are minutes and places where teams see that he's there and drivers see that he's there. And they're like, uh, I'm not going to try this. I'm just going to come back out like the, the Cairns the last game. There were like three or four plays where they went in there and you could tell they have a shot, but they look Sar dead in the eye and they're like, nope. And then just dribbled out of there. So, again, I get it, but I, I just can't get there yet. Speaking of athletic dudes, maybe, maybe, maybe the most athletic guard in this draft class is Isaiah Collier out of USC. He's another guy I've heard quite a bit about for a while. People saying like, yo, man, this is the guy. I heard he was 6'4". Now everybody's saying he's 6'5", 210. So we'll see again, the measurements is kind of the 
the through line of this. If you listen to any USC game or watch any broadcasts, like they're they must be getting paid from Collier and this representation because they're like, oh, six five and six five and six five by the third quarter. It's like, all right, I get it. Stop. Let's I hope so. I've heard six three and two, so that seems like to be the range anywhere between six three and six five. I think six four will be just fine, even you know. So, but he's he's like almost as thick as he is tall, man. He's a brick house for sure. Super athletic, super physical. He's just an attacker. Like that's what he hangs his hat on. He's like, nope, I'm gonna get to the rim. You cannot deny me in the paint. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna draw contact. And he's also a good passer. Seems like he gets, you know, the right read a lot of times. He can get a little bit too aggressive, get a little bit overzealous with some of his passes. But I I will always say one of my mantras is I would rather rein a guy in than have to try and fire them up. So he's well, definitely one guy you never have to fire up. He, he's there. Um, the shot, though. Oh, my gosh. The shot is bad. I mean, I don't know if it will come around. He reminds me a little bit of John Wall. I mean, in that regard of like, yeah, I believe he's going to attack. I believe he's going to get free throws. I believe he's going to be the, the point guard of point guards. But I just don't know if anybody's ever going to respect his jump shot or if it's going to come around. But yeah, he, he has just about everything you want a point guard, right? Yeah, he definitely does. And like you said, with, with the size, like he is just built like a brick house, like you were saying, just thick, stout knows how to use it. Like, it's one thing to be able to be built that way and not necessarily know how to use it, especially at that age. Um, but, you know, him being able to get downhill, he plays with good pace, tremendous passer. I think he has a case to be one of the best, um, as one of the best passers in the class. And what he's been able to do is to get to the pull-up games to finish at the rim with the strength bump guys. I think that's going to be able to continue on the next level too because he's only going to get bigger and stronger and more physical as he matures and gets an NBA weight room, nutrition plan, and all that great stuff. And the, the biggest concerns, you know, and you hit both of them really, are is the shooting. Um, the shooting first and foremost. Can he be a respectable shooter? Can he be a res- um, capable shooter? Can he hit open threes? Um, can he show enough shot-making versatility to where it at least puts the threat in opposing teams' mind, like, oh, he can hit that, you know, if he's hits a couple pull-up threes or if he's getting downhill and it's to the mid-range. If he's just throwing enough shot versatility to where he's still a threat with the jumper and outside of the paint, that's going to be key, even if, let's say, he is like a 31% three-point shooter for his career. You know, can he show just enough of that versatility and get hot enough um, and then also the turnovers like that just has not been great. Uh, 5.7 turnovers per game. I think he's had a six and a seven uh, turnover game as well. Um, some of it just being careless with passes, but it's kind of been a little bit of his history. Um, so just him being able to make better decisions with ball security, that's going to be a big thing. And And it's early. Um, but those numbers are quite high, especially for someone who is going to be your lead guard and is a tremendous passion. So those are two things um, we should definitely keep an eye on as the season progresses. Yeah, and also I, I watched that UC Irvine film a couple times now. It's one game. Don't overreact to this, anybody. But it's worrisome when Pierre Cockrell was able to guard him very well. Pierre Cockrell... Is six foot one listed at six foot one one seventy five. He looks a lot smaller than that though. 
But I mean, he like got up in Collier's grill, was able to stifle him. Nobody else on UC Irvine, I mean, to be clear, nobody else on UC Irvine could do this. Everybody else had problems with him. And even Cockrell had problems with like keeping up with him. But he matched him physically. I was like, ooh, what in the world is going on? That's a, that'll be a good film study to go back and look at. And I'm sure any team facing USC is going to go forward and see that and be like, yep, if we have a physical dude, even if they're smaller, let's go get a, a body on him. Let's go get in his body and frustrate him. And Collier did like chirp a little bit too much for my liking in that game. I don't know if you've seen the film, but you can tell it, like things kind of got to him there. Um, and the defense, I I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know if it's too early, but Collier is really happy to go under every ball screen. And particularly for somebody with that athleticism and body type, I'm like, you can't be doing that, man. Like, if you're in a brick house, if you have that athleticism, you have such a physical advantage over everybody else to be able to be a really good guy that that fights through ball screens and gets over them a lot easier than other dudes who are not. So that's one of the things that, again, it's, it's not nothing to knock. Like a lot of young guys do that, right? But it's always frustrating to me when I see dudes that are physically gifted, that they just choose to take, I mean, I'm call them out the lazy route, right? The lazy route is just to go under the ball screen when you have to fight and get physical and do these other things. So it's worrisome, but I say that before giving you the stats for Collier right now, three games, 20 points per game, four assists, 1.7 steals, 0.3 blocks uh, per game, shooting splits 54.8% from two-point range, 28.6 from three, and then 87.7% from the free throw. <laughs> I mean, if there's anybody else that's going to give like lead scorer vibes, it's Collier. And I remember hearing Sam Massini recently on the Game Theory talk about uh, Utah Jazz have the absolute worst backcourt in the NBA. And it's like, you know what, Collier would fit perfectly on this roster because they have shooters and other dudes that can, you know, find open shots and that Collier can get them open shots. And they don't have anybody as athletic as him at guard. So it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I think if a team like the Jazz got the number one overall pick, again, it'd be hard to pass up on somebody like this that number one is worthy of the number one overall pick because of the skill set and his ability to score and be aggressive and athleticism and all those boxes you want to check. So yeah, I'll get it. You can also see the Spurs being in that mix too, looking for another point guard. Although I think they need to get Trey Jones in that starting lineup at some point, at least just more minutes while with that group. And obviously, um, Wimbayama as well, too. So I think that could be a very in intriguing fit. I want to watch that UC Irvine game that is on my list of, of games to watch. <laughs> a long list already in this season. It's like you can never really get to everything. Um, but uh, that just kind of reminds me, just a quick small tangent. It just reminds me that I've just kind of been taught that scouting is a blend of the eyes, the ears, and the numbers in that order. You know, you trust your own eyes and your adjustment, and then you trust what you hear from other people, you know, um, your value people, and then the numbers just plainly at the end. So it's good to hear that about Kyle. So I'm definitely going to be more cognizant of that when I watch him, and especially that UC Irvine game. Um, and then also the free throw numbers. I mean, that's what you say, 88%. So that is uh, an encouraging sign that there is some touch there. There could potentially be uh, some, at least a capable shooter. There should be some positive progression in his uh, three-point shooting. So that's the hope. Oh, and then real quick, defensively, as you said that too, um, 
I, sometimes it could be scheme dependent. They want him to go under. That's also kind of difficult to tell, but maybe, maybe it certainly wasn't. Um, but with those, with that frame, it's just saying, like, you want him to be physical, um, on the ball, fight through the screens. Um, so, you know, hopefully that will change as we get deeper into the season and certainly translating up on the NBA level. Yeah. And again, it's one game, but it was some, some pretty bad film. So it'll be interesting to see how. Isaiah Collier bounces back from this. Um, but again, he's just a fantastic athlete. Maybe the best point guard in this draft so far. Finally, maybe the most polarizing riser. He was somebody I really didn't consider for number one and really didn't consider for like top lottery, even like top 10, top 14. But Zachary Reese's share is the last guy we're saying could be a riser to the number one overall pick. Again, it's a fluid draft. If you're freaking out, calm down, calm down, calm down. Zachary Reese is there, is listed at six foot eight, somewhere around like 200 pounds. Real GM lists him at 204. That seems about right. He's somebody that people have been in on for a while, is like this tall shooter that could potentially be uh, an NBA, like, I don't know, third to fifth starter type of dude. But man, he's really come out of the gates so far this year and played very well. Seven games in the Euro Cup. So I'm going to break this up into the two different leagues. He's played in the Euro Cup, which is basically like the B League for the top teams in um, the European leagues. So the Euro League is like all the top teams that basically won their leagues. They play in the Euro League and then whoever wins gets the title there. Everybody else that is like second tier, third tier, they play in the Euro Cup. So uh, Risa Scherer's team is playing in the Euro Cup. They played seven games there. Risa Chair scored 13.6 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, 0.6 assists per game, 1.1 steal, and then 0.9 blocks. 69, or excuse me, 56.4% from two-point ranges is where I get messed up. And 61.9% from three-point range so far. Normally, I'm used to the two-point range being higher than the three-point percentage. So that's why it always messes me up. And then 54.5% from the free throw line. Now in uh, League A, uh, which is the French top league, 10 games there for Risa Share, 9.1 points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 1 steal, 0.4 blocks per game, 60% from two-point range, 21.4% from three-point range, and then 75.8% from the free throw line. So Risa Share has been really good in Euro League, or the Euro Cup, excuse me, struggling from the free throw line. And then it's been kind of flipped in his league game so far. But you definitely see it at that size, fluid dude who's been able to kind of let it fly from three a little bit more and do a little bit more off the dribble, too. He's in, I think he's right there behind Sar in terms of like the project player where you're like, okay, I, I'm worried a little bit about the physicality. He seems like he's not much of a passer right now. I'm not sure on the defense, but you don't see many guys this size moving around. You don't see many guys this size being able to shoot the ball like that. And uh, when, where did Usman Django? What what pick was he like? Tenth, eleventh, somewhere around there. I think it was somewhere right around there. And yeah, and if he goes like in the early teens, Usman Jang, who really did not have great film and was only played in the NBL because his team just went in the tank, and they're like, "All right, man, just go ahead." If he went that high. When he wasn't playing particularly well, I think Reese to share in a fluid draft could be somebody that if he continues to build 
on strong performances, and especially in the Euro Cup, if his team does really well and he's the one leading the charge, then yeah, you could see him get into the number one overall pick. But what are your impressions of Reese to share? So I need to tap back in with him to see how he's doing right now. Just kind of just been following from things I've heard and, and highlights and everything. But just from watching uh, the Unites from U19, I kind of soured on him. Just didn't have the best performance there. And I know a lot of it in general with his game, it's some of, like you mentioned, it is a bit of a project. Um, but him defensively, what he can do, um, as a, as a playmaker and projects to be able to do as a playmaker with his length, athleticism and anticipation skills. But, I mean, that is certainly the calling card for him. And he shot a little better. Um, like you were saying as well. So you hope there's a three and D role, but there's still plenty to try to figure out with what type of on ball creative shot creative that he is. And that's the part of his game, um, where I'm still very, very iffy about. And then kind of just think about guys in that six, eight range, defensive playmakers. I just kind of think about when you think about someone like Ryan Dunn, who's been um, tremendous to start the season. It's like, where's the gap in between those two guys? And are we talking about Ryan Dunn at number one? You know what I mean? So just trying to think about the value in between those uh, guys and that type of archetype as well. Um, but I'm looking forward to tapping back in um, and seeing a little bit more of them this year. Yeah. And so to give you some numbers on the three point shots combined between the Euro Cup and the um, French Liga, 38 percent, 38.7 percent, 19 of 49 from three. So to give you some more context of like across the 17 games, this is what he's shooting from three. And in Europe, like he's he's taken three per game in the Euro Cup and then 2.8 in the league so if you're listening to this and you're like ah it's not many threes you got to remember that the pace is a lot slower for the european game it's more post oriented so if you want to look i I hate giving like per 100s or per 36 but i think in this case it is helpful to give you an idea of like okay if he was able to get up more it's like 4.8 for both the euro cup and the league so seems about right we're on five and again, six foot eight. I, I think that's kind of the through line, maybe, with all the guys that we we targeted here of like who's potentially number one in size and like either rare athleticism or like a skill that you could sell in there. And Reese Share is still probably more in the realm of a dark horse, but he has played a lot better than a lot of people thought because everybody was like, hey, you seem kind of timid. And what you brought up with the FIBA stuff, I was right there with you. I was like, man, this guy probably needs another year or whatever. But he's played pretty well so far in his um, in his leagues, both in the Euro Cup and in the French League. And everybody else has yet to really distinguish themselves. So speaking of dark horses, though, now we move on to the part of the program where Jam and I give our own dark horse candidates for the number one overall pick. Again, it's super fluid, even though we believe Ron Manas are probably still up there. Everybody else we laid out there is like, Edwards, I don't know. He's not really a shooter. I'm not sure what he is yet. Saar, like, yeah, the athleticism's there, but I don't know what the offensive role quite is yet. Collier can't shoot. There's some defensive stuff. And then Reese share, like we said, super dark horse still uh, within that. Who are some other guys, Jam, that you would consider it number one overall? Uh, Nikola Topics, uh, he is at the top of the list of dark horse for me right now. At some point, like, you just cannot 
deny his production any longer. Like he won MVP of the FIBA UA, European U18 championships this past summer. He's carried that momentum right into the season right now uh, with Mega. And I'm um, averaging 20.1 points, 3.4 rebounds, eight assists per game, and shooting 33% from three. He is just a pick and roll maestro. Um, just terrific live dribble playmaker, super creative, flashy. Listed as 6'6", um, as we, kind of the thing with this, we're going to see if that's what he really is. I would love if he is truly that that tall lead guard. He may be close to that 6'4 range. We used to certainly see. Um, that won't affect my thoughts on him too much, but um, ideally the taller better, um, especially when you have a lead guard like that. And, and like I said, you He's just been on an absolute tear. He's already playing professionally in a, in a very good league as well, you know, in a well-known powerhouse program as well. Defensively, he's just, you know, you just kind of hope that he uses his size a little bit more, um, you know, to progress there. But obviously, you're looking for him, what he can do as a playmaker and um, as a shot maker as well, being able to score on multiple levels. And uh, the three ball was a little bit of a concern, but I think that he's done just a terrific job, um, you know, throughout the FIBA play, uh, throughout the summer, and then the start here. He's going to be a, uh, at least a capable three-point shooter that team's going to have to respect. And I, I just don't see how he should not be in consideration, at least as a dark horse, for that number one pick. Why are so many people hesitant to put a 20.1 point per game scorer at number one overall when he's in a professional league? Like you said, comes from Mega. Mega's put out quite a bit of guys from Nikola Jovic. Durisic is still there. Uh, Malcolm Kazalon played there is with the Pistons right now. I know they've had a couple other guys, you know, before then. Like, I just have not seen anybody really go out on a limb and say, yo, we should have Topic number one. Why is that? I think, honestly, we should be far away from this right now, but I think he's just still maybe a little bit of, I wouldn't say uh, bias against, I don't want to go that far, but there's still some uncertainty about overseas players, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, I think that's maybe a little bit of it. And then also, he is not like this super-duper athlete. I mean, certainly not a terrible athlete by any chance as well, but he was not that explosive athlete, especially when we look at guys like Isaiah Pallier and then also Stefan Castle and UConn, two guys who are lead guards who have more of that um, physical tool profile of explosive athleticism, quick twitch athleticism that you're really looking for, um, especially at that lead guard spot as well. So I think those are probably the, the two main things, but production is production. And with that feel, his passing, um, shot making, I, I just don't just don't know what else he really can do outside of obviously just leveling up as a shooter. But but right now, I, I think he has any as good as a case as anybody right now. And even the shooting, like he's always been a very good, like elite free throw shooter. I believe he's pretty much been 80 percent or over 80 percent for the last like what three or four years 2021 2022 86.7% from the free throw line 2022 2023 88.9% from the free throw line and so far this season 2023 2024 86% from the free throw line 
I'm a broken record. I've said this a million times before. I'll say it a million times in the future. If you're somebody who believes that free throw percentage tells you something about their potential as a shot maker or as a shooter, this is somebody to buy into 1000%. And again, the defensive stuff, like I, that's the main thing that I've heard from people like oh, his defense is trash or like, I don't trust him enough on defense. I'm like, who else is scoring like this, right? And at number one, too, you're looking for probably like a lead creator, a defensive, like nightmare MVP type of guy, or something along those lines. Those are really like the only two things that number one overall picks normally are is like a defensive anchor or a lead shot creator. And you're right, like there's everything in this profile screams like, yeah, you should probably take me a lot higher. I haven't seen him mocked in too many top 10 so far. I mean, you know, it's early in the process, but definitely somebody that should be up there at number one overall. Uh, do, you, do you think he could still play point guard in the NBA, though? Because the athleticism is kind of worrisome. I think he can. And I think if teams don't think or evaluators don't think that he can, then I understand why he isn't a consideration on one pick or outside of the top 10 because. He clearly someone that has to have the ball in his hands. Um, maybe you, if he's going to be uh, your lead guard, you put him on the lesser of a, of a perimeter threat with someone like the two or the three who is not, you know, uh, that productive as an offensive player, and you kind of try to hide him uh, that way, which is always you know the ideal thing to do when you have a guard who isn't the greatest defender. Um, you know, eventually, uh, playoff time that can kind of get hunted out um, to an extent. But if he is six six, that certainly can help, and you give effort. My thing with defense: if you have size and effort, coaches should be able to work with that. I, <laughs> you have size, length, and effort. Like, I, what else do you really need defensively? Obviously, you know, understanding of rotation, those type of things, but. If you are given the effort with size, you should be able to be a passable defender. I don't have to be a, a positive defender, but you certainly don't have to be a negative with those type of things. Yeah, and at that size, 6'6", six, six, like around 200, he could play shooting guard, he could play small forward, and then you could put other dudes at the one or at the two or at the one or at the three um, to be right. And speaking as a Piston fan, like he could fit in in this team where everybody's clamoring for a Bojan Bogdanovich to come back. It's like, why not draft a guy that could profile? Like that may be even better uh, as a primary or secondary creator. Please, please give Kate Cunningham some spacing. That's all that I really ask for right now. That's your priority for, for Troy, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, I only have one guy that's a dark horse candidate again is a fluid draft. I'm really squirrely this early on in the process to go out on the limb for anybody except Isan Almanza. Isan Almanza is listed at six foot ten and around 216, uh, 216 pounds. The most decorated European prospect since Luka Doncic, that has to say something, number one, was the MVP of the FIBA U-17 World Cup, was the MVP of the FIBA U-18 European Championships, and was the MVP of the FIBA U-19 World Cup. And there's few guys that can do that. At the uh, U-19 World Cup this last summer, Isan Almanza scored 16.9 points per game, pulled in 7.1 rebounds, 1.6 assists, uh, 0.9 turnovers. <laughs> this is where it messes me up. They always put uh, fouls and turnovers ahead of everything else. And I think it steals the blocks, but it's not. 
1.7 steals per game and then 1.1 blocks per game for Isan Almansa. 62% from the field. It was 33% from three, but he was one of three from three-point range. So even me chill out, like he's not, he's not a three-point shooter yet. But he did shoot 89.5% from the free throw line. Has also played at the overtime elite the past season. There during the season, he averaged 9.3 points per game. 8.6 rebounds and 2.3 assists with the YNG Dreamers. He averaged something like 12 points per game in their playoffs. Feel and just like the ability to be a basketball genius, I think is, is why I would put Isama Mansa up there. Keep it real again. I don't know that I would want him to take him number one overall. I think it would take the right team. But it, all of these things are really, really worthwhile to think about for somebody like us. At number one overall, as a passer, Itzel Almanza is super underrated. He makes a lot of good reads that you don't see many big men do. He can do it in a variety of settings from the high post, from the low post, from the mid post, on the move. You don't see too many big men being able to do that. He's got really good touch. It just seems like if he's got it in the paint and he's anywhere near the basket, it's going to go in. The other thing about him, too, is on defense, like he, he's not you don't think he's not a good athlete, but then you see him blitz ball handlers with the, the G League Ignite. You see him get in the position that kills the play for the offense. And you're like, man, this guy really understands defensive angles and he can do a bunch of different things. He's fluid is the way I would describe his athleticism. He's not going to like jump out of the gym or anything, but you just see him be able to get to his spots, utilize his body control and all those different things. But yeah, I'm not sure if there's a jump shot in there just because he's never really asked to been, do those kinds of things. Probably going to be more of like a screen and roll guy. But two names that I thought were very interesting with uh, Ethan Almanza, if you listen to the NBA Big Board, Rafael Barlow and James Barlow, we're talking about comparisons for him because it's one that I've struggled with a lot because I'm like, I see some Nikola Jokic in it, but I'm like, there's only one Jokic. I'm not going to go out there and say that, even though Almanza has this decorated pass and he's a good passer, but no, not there. The two that the, the Barlow brothers put out, number one, they're, they're right. It's more of a complexion comparison. And, and that's Anderson Varejao, which I'm like, eh, <laughs> like, it's just another Spanish center. But I mean, I can see some of it with the feel and the passing and all that stuff. And the one season that Varejao did, did stand out, he did, you know, pass very well. The one to me that's more interesting is Joachim Noah. That I'm like, you know what? I see a lot of that in there. And Noah's one of those players that's severely underrated for his time. And injury is probably a reason why. But short, another guy, too, that like, he doesn't have gaudy stats. But he was one of the rare centers you can run an offense through. He's one of the rare centers that, like, was an elite defender based off feel. And just being able to put the time in and, and be gritty. That's something Alonso will have to work on more, I think, is just being more physical. Because Noah was more of a, a low post and like punch you in the face and be happy about it kind of player. Whereas Alonso is not quite there yet. But I, I, the more I watch him, the more I'm like, yeah, I can see this, this Noah comparison. Because it is more based on feel and the passing, too. The passing is something where you're like, this could be a featured part of your offense. Almanza is definitely someone that I am looking forward to continuing to watch more of. Um, for me, I see him more as like a role player big, which is interesting to kind of see we're kind of maybe on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Um, the question I do have, especially as you brought up in 
um, with his skill set. Do you think he's more of someone who can run offense through in a joking Noah type of way where it's more of like he's not the point guard, but he can be fun. He's connected and he can do some things with him on the high post. Or can you legitimately do like Sangoon? Obviously, he, you know, though him and, you know, baby Yoki, so to speak, like they're, they're kind of different levels. But when you have a guy who can pass at the five spot, if you can legitimately run offense or if he can be your facilitator, I do value that a lot. Um, I don't see that with him quite yet, but I was just curious, like, what is your opinion on that? What type of level of a facilitator can he be for a team? I think it's something different. I think it could develop into a Noah because Noah didn't do that until like year seven or eight. Like it took a while. I think it will be that that same thing as well. I don't know about Shingun because I feel like Shingun more plays off of his offense of like attacking and doing low post stuff and all that. And that's not Almasa's thing. The main reason why I say Almasa should be like in contention for number one, but why I'm still like, I wouldn't do it. He's unselfish to a fault. Like he would rather give an assist to somebody than score, even if like maybe scoring is the best option. He would rather seal a guy off on the other end so Rod Holland can get a rebound. He would rather, you know, make a screen that gets somebody an open three than roll the basket and, and get that himself. Again, that's super useful, and I like that about him. But it's going to be a hard selling point. And if you're that unselfish, if you continue to be that way in the NBA, I'm like, I don't know. you got to have to score eventually, number one. I'm not sure the scoring stuff with Omasa, like what his go-to things would be so far. And that guy that's super unselfish like that and gets things going. Because even Noah at his height was like, what, the fourth option? Maybe the fifth option on yeah, offense? Part of thing. Yeah, he he was facilitating things, but like you ain't giving him the ball at the end of the shot clock. You know, not even as like, oh, uh-oh, pass out of this. You see Noah open and you're like, no, nah, I'm just going to take this instead. Like, I feel like Alonso might be like that, too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like, he's definitely um, someone that I'm very excited to choose to, to watch because his skill set at that size does stand out. And like you said, he is unselfish to a fault. And I think he can be a really, really good connective piece for a team. So it's interesting to see where his draft range ends up being and if he continues to rise throughout the process as well. And I do have one more. I'm just going to touch more on Monza. I do have one more potential um, dark horse for number one pick. Yeah, real quick on Monza, though. He's indicative of the why I say don't say this is a bad draft. It's a fluid draft. If I'm a, somebody who can get an extra first round pick, oh, yeah, I'm targeting somebody like Monza for sure and developing that guy. But yeah, who, I'm intrigued to see who the last guy is because to me, I'm like, I think we've covered everybody that's worthy of number one. So very, very excited to hear this. I got one more. And that is Jacoby Walter from, from Baylor. You know, obviously he bust out in this thing, uh, the most points for Baylor freshman, 28 points. Um, I think it was against Auburn. Um, and right now he's averaging 18 points, shooting 39% from three or 5.8 attempts per game and uh, shooting six and a half free throws per game. He's six foot five with good length, two way upside. Um, just a very lethal multiple multiple level shot maker, um, a confident shot maker as well. 
Um, I think one of the big things for him is just continue to watch how he evolves as a separator and ball handler on offense. That's those are the, the two things offensive that I really want to watch out for this year. He doesn't create a lot of separation. The ball handling just just needs to be a little bit more trickier. He did have a nice um between pullback uh three over uh Aiden Holloway as well in that in that big game opening game. And then also just want to see uh, what type of playmaker, I guess another thing offensively, uh, what type of playmaker he can become. Um, but the most level scoring is six foot five, the two way upside, the length. I really do like him. And you see he's coming off the gate scoring. So I think he's a good under the radar dark horse candidate for that number one spot. Sticking with our one of our themes for this, if he's six four six three, do you think that affects people wanting to take him like top five? I do, if they don't think the playmaking is there, because I think what you know, if you that puts you more to having to play that lead guard spot, being a point guard and being able to be a playmaker, and also it could um, really affect what he does defensively, despite whatever. Uh, his wingspan ends up being you know, six foot five. He gives you a little bit more versatility, a little bit more uh, room for margin for error. Um, you know, so I think that'll be a a not not necessarily big, but it will be a significant uh, factor. I mean, I can't wait for the measurements in this class. Honestly, like it's it's gonna it's gonna be very very interesting. Yeah, I was making the argument the other day that I feel like Jacoby so far is the guy that the Pistons need, like ASAP, because of the skill set of just being able to get to the free throw line a ton and then being able to shoot like he is. The, the getting to the free throw line, do you think that'll probably like mitigate some of the playmaking? Because my fear with him is like with Ray J. Dennis and Jaden Nunn. Shout out Flinttown, Jaden Nunn, by the way, a big fan. I feel like like Jacoby Walter's just not going to get playmaking opportunities because those two guys are there and should be handling it. And of course, college basketball for a team like Baylor that wants to push for a national title. I ain't giving the ball up to the freshman who doesn't like know what the right read is yet. I think that's a great point. And it just also just fits into like context absolutely matters, you know, so he's not going to have too many of those playmaker opportunities. You would imagine uh, we'll see how it progresses. Because um, let's say he continues to get into a rhythm, he's hot, he's going to have the ball in his hand. So then it's going to be about, all right, if I'm running pick and roll, if they're blitzing me, what are they, you know, what are they doing? If they're in drop, reading the secondary and, you know, and tertiary defenders. So that's the type of stuff that I don't want to see. It may not necessarily result in an in assist, but, you know, if he's going to be a high-level score for Baylor, a reliable score for Baylor, that should at least have, uh, give him the usage to be able to have those uh, decent amount of opportunities for playmaking. Yeah, and to end how we started, it's a fluid year. Thinking about Ron Holland, thinking about Jacoby Walter, like these guys, it really is going to depend on who gets the number one overall pick. Because I feel pretty strongly if like the Wizards got the number one overall pick, then it's Ron Holland, right? Like that team is filled with guards who love to shoot it. You need a guy that can facilitate and play some defense. And be able to get out on boards and stuff. Whereas I just mentioned my Pistons, if they get the number one overall pick, they need somebody like Jacoby Walter if he continues to score and shoot and get to the free throw line like that. They don't need another developmental project who we don't know if his three point shot is quite there yet, even though the defense will be great. 
yeah, it's going to really, really, really be a fluid year. And there's probably going to be like one or two guys that, that develop and emerge out of this that we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, like fluid, 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 like you said, like water. And like, it's going to be interesting for me as well because the, over the past four cycles, I've had, I'm not sure where you've been at and where other people have been on, but for the past four cycles, I've had a wire-to-wire number one prospect. There was LaMelo, then Cade, Paolo, and Wimbiyama. So I've been wire-to-wire from the from beginning to end. Usually yeah. I do a, um, an actual big board until December or January more in tears. And, you know, that's kind of how it played out. But it's been a wire-to-wire. And I think this, this might change for me this year. Yeah, I've been pretty much right there with you. For me, it was Ant-Man. And then it, it wavered for a minute, but it was Paulo for most of the year. And then, you know, Wimba, Yama, Kate, you know, like uh, there were locks. So very, very interesting draft to see how this pans out. So GM, let the, everybody know again where they can find you uh, on Twitter. Very, very excited to see us doing this every every week. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have a lot more coming week to week. So I'm looking forward to, to getting to some of the things we have. Um, uh, under the sheet, so to speak. Um, so I will say you can find me at Jam on the Boards on Twitter. And then all of my uh, public draft work is on Draft Digest. All right. So who do you think is going to be the number one overall pick? I'll put a poll into this. Who do you want to be the number one prospect right now? We'll put a poll in this episode. Check it out on Spotify. I don't know if it posts on Apple or on Google. I'll have to look into that, to be quite honest. But Spotify listeners, definitely look at the poll on the web or on the description to the podcast. We'll link to Jam's stuff on the description as well. So, yeah, thank you always for listening to us. We'll catch you next time. Good night.